If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Hemant Mehta. This is Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. Uh, we're joined today by Amy Dickinson, who is a syndicated columnist behind Ask Amy, which is on over 150 newspapers nationwide. You can also hear her on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where she's a regular panelist. She's written for Time, Esquire, and O Magazines, and is the author of the best-selling memoir, The Mighty Queens of Freeville. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So one, uh, I read that you got your job, the Ask Amy columnist job, because the Chicago Tribune sent you some sample questions, and you, they wanted you to get back to them within a week. You ended up getting back to them within a day. And I'm wondering, have you always been that much of a go-getter, or why? how did you respond that quickly? Um, honestly, I, I appreciate you calling me something so old fashioned as being a go getter. (laughs) I think that totally describes me. They, they sent five sample questions. I knew there were other candidates for this job. And frankly, I wasn't, I wasn't employed at the time. (laughs) So I just did it. And I thought to myself, look, the person who who gets this job is going to have to be fast. I thought that's one of the qualities of, of writing a daily column. And so I turned it around really quickly. Uh, yeah, that day, like maybe three or four hours. And the editor said, no, 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 no. Everybody gets a week. Please, please take a week. <laughs> and I, I was smart enough to know that given a week, I would only find ways to screw it up. Right. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm good. This is it. And it worked out really well. So, Amy, growing up in the Chicago area, um, you know, I've been familiar with, with your column, you know, f- for quite a while. But you sort of gained national no- notoriety fairly recently with a couple uh, pretty popular uh, columns that you had. I'd like to read one that jumped out at us. Um, so the question was... I recently discovered that my son, who is 17, is a homosexual. We are part of a church group, and I fear that if people in the group find out, that, find out, they'll make fun of me for having a gay child. Please help him make the right choice in life by not being gay. Your answer was, You could teach your son an important lesson by changing your own sexuality to show him how easy it is. Pressuring your son to change his sexuality is wrong. If you cannot learn to accept, this, accept him as he is, it might be safest for him to live elsewhere. Which is a great response. Um, how, how has that blown up, and how has that kind of changed yeah, your audience? Well, you know what's so funny? I have been writing this column now for 11 years, almost to the day. And in all that time, I have taken that question countless times. But I never, there was something in the way the letter was written where the guy who, and actually a lot of people assume that was written by a mom. I happen to know it was written by dad. Oh. But a lot of people assume that the person who wrote, that the parent that wrote that letter, um, that it was very short and that 
that parent served up the perfect punchline because he said he won't stop being gay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought to myself, oh, okay, well, you want somebody to stop being gay? Why don't you stop being straight? You know, (laughs) like, it's so easy. (laughs) But that was just a happy accident because, like I said, I've been answering that type of question ever since I started writing this column. It just came out in a particularly, it was a combination of a letter that was very, very odious mm-hmm. and an answer that was very, I thought, very obvious. But yeah, it really, really resonated. I would say that, um, I don't know, that letter went viral and I think, um, the main thing that happened with me was that it sort of took my column global mm-hmm. in in a way that it hadn't been because the rise of social media has really, really, really changed the way my column is shared and read in that you don't have to subscribe to your newspaper anymore to to read my column. And one of the things that happened with that particular column was it was three things happened. It landed on BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. Well, BuzzFeed didn't even exist two years ago. <laughs> right. So that was it. It was shared on Upworthy. Upworthy didn't exist two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they gave it a great headline, too. Yeah. Oh, with you, it was like, and watch what happened. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah. You won't believe her response. The thing that really made it go cuckoo bananas was George Takai. Yeah. Who is, you know, a gay icon who has well over 5 million Facebook fans, he posted it on his Facebook page. And it just went crazy. Because as it turns out, you know, there are a lot of people who share things on Twitter, but the Facebook sharing is a whole other audience. And so I, and I still hear from people who have read that column for the first time. And they're like, Oh, you're awesome. And I think, <laughs> oh boy, you're just getting around to reading that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, not to detract anything from you, but like in the blogosphere, what you said, you know, well, you try being, you know, right. gay for a little bit. I know. That's, I that's know. not anything new. But I think part of it is it, it was the format. It's mm-hmm. the fact that this is an advice column in a newspaper saying the things that we hear often in the blog world. Right. And that's part of why people were just so surprised to mm-hmm. see it and so excited to see that. Yeah. Oh, and so are you saying it because advice columns and newspapers are so old-fashioned? I think that's the perception that a lot yeah. of people have. And then yeah. your your advice absolutely wasn't. Yeah. And that's why they were so excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Amy, yeah. what do you think this uh, this guy who wrote that letter, what do you think he thought your response would be? Like, what Because res- I feel like people— Did he want some vali- validation? <laughs> validation. Well, I think most people want validation. And in fact, I corresponded with him. A a lot of people have, you know, wondered if that was like fake or if I had written that letter. Mm, And my answer to that is, (laughs) A, if I could make that, if I could manufacture that, I'd do it every day. (laughs) But um, in this case, I actually corresponded with, with him a couple of times because um, there was a portion of the letter where he said, I think my son is gay just to get back at me for forgetting his birthday for three years. <laughs> okay, he says something about me. <laughs> the most shocking part of that letter for me was the fact that a parent had forgotten a child's birthday right. for several years running. 
<laughs> so I get back to him, and I'm, I don't even ask him, like, really, you think your son can stop being gay? I don't even bother asking him that. I'm like, you forgot your kid's birthday? What kind of monster? You know? And the guy said, well, you know, I'm really busy. The weird thing was, because I also, in my answer, I dealt with that. And I said that when a parent forgets a child's birthday, it's the, the kind of negation that is similar to negating a person's sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. You're really denying someone on a really very basic level. And I have to say in, you know, in amongst the huge response to that letter, I heard from so many people who said, oh my God, my parents, or I have a parent that forgot my birthday. I love how that's the part that resonated with so many people. (laughs) It really did, and it was very surprising to me, and I was very touched by that um, because I thought I had tapped into something that was, unfortunately, um, a more common experience than than I had expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Amy, there's another one that went viral, and I don't, forgive me, I don't have the text in front of me, but it was regarding a woman talking about her sister. Um who, oh, yeah. Who, could you give the summary of that? Because I don't have it in front of me. Okay, so that's another one that the letter was very sanctimonious. Mm-hmm. In, this, in this case, this letter was so sanctimonious. It was a perfect combination. It was so sanctimonious and so bitchy at the same time. <laughs> Again, somebody who was a churchgoer, mm-hmm. who was like excluding her sister from these sister weekends. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, my other sister and I, we're both uh, married and we have children and we don't work and we go on these fun shopping weekends, but our other sister is a single mom and she's basically no fun to be around because she's got all these problems. (laughs) And so they have been excluding her. And basically at the end of her letter, she, again, she served up the perfect, you know, sort of softball because she said, so does this make me some kind of horrible person? And so, of course, I said, why, yes, you are a horrible person. <laughs> it's just that bluntness. Something about That's me great. just saying, oh, yeah, you're horrible. That people went crazy over that. <laughs> and that actually really, really did surprise me. Well, because nobody... I f- I feel like people tend to be around people who agree with them. So when I ask Hemant, am I a horrible person? He's yes. going to say no. <laughs> Come on, Hemant. All right, no. Yeah, like, you expect... yeah, man, you're awful. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah you, don't expect, you don't expect to ask someone for advice, and their advice is you're the problem. Yeah. Yeah, you're the problem, 100%. And so I felt like that was very easy. And at the end of my answer, because part of her question was about how and she and her sister were regular churchgoers right. but this third excluded sister you know wasn't really as churchy as they were and so I suggested two things one was you can't exclude someone repeatedly and then blame that person for not fitting in mm-hmm. because you have to include someone in order for the person to, to fit in So there's that. But the other thing was, 
maybe you could ponder this from your church pew because despite <laughs> your regular attendance, you don't seem to have learned much. People love that. <laughs> they love, love that. Because I was basically calling her on something that she had volunteered about herself, which was that she was very, you know, churchy. Both of those letters, uh, the responses, the way you phrased them are very unique, and mm-hmm. that's awesome. The answers you're giving, um, they don't they don't seem altogether surprising. They seem like, like you said, yeah. softball issues right. that have obvious answers. And I'm wondering, do you, do you like those questions because they set you up for this beautiful response? Or do you do you prefer harder questions? I guess my question is, how much do you struggle answering the questions people pose to you? Because those two seem like they, they didn't really take that much time to come up with an answer. It's no, just a matter of phrasing. those were easy. And thank you for pointing that out. I think you're the only person, I've done a lot of interviews about these viral letters, and you're the only person that's really pointed out how easy. <laughs> and I think one reason they went viral is because they were so, I said what everybody was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't nuanced. The... I don't know. I, I mean, that kind of thing is fun for me, but um, no, I really do enjoy being challenged, and I receive a lot of queries that are incredibly challenging for me that do require a lot of nuance, and of course, in the short space I'm given, I can't introduce, you know, studies and mm-hmm all of that, but I I feel like I try really, really hard to frame an answer that gives more than one possibility. Like, okay, it could be this, it could be that, here's what I think you should try first, if that doesn't work, you can try this, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's what the toughest problems really do sometimes require, you know, more than just, it's not as simple as, oh, go see a counselor, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, what kind of pressure do you feel when, you know, you're giving advice to people who, you know, you get information, you get what you can, but for all intents and purposes, these are strangers. Is that a lot of pressure to try to give somebody advice that you know they're going to take to heart? Yeah, thanks for thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, it's a ton of pressure. <laughs> like, you know, it's part of it is I am guided by some incredibly sage wisdom from my predecessor, Ann Landers, Mm -hmm. where she said, these problems are not my problems. I have other problems. So I think it's really important, and I'm sure that therapists have to do this. It's like you spend all day really immersed in not only other people's problems, but just like tragedy, heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's tough out there. And so I do feel a lot of pressure to be responsible and to get it right, in quotes, knowing that I'm not a clinician, Mm -hmm. I'm not a researcher, I'm definitely fallible. Um, But there's also, I feel like it's really important that I not take this on too heavily. Mm -hmm. Because if I wear it too heavily, I'm going to end up like Dr. Drew or like... (laughs) <laughs> no disrespect to Dr. Drew, but <laughs> I I want to stay light. I want to continue to be able to 
sort of hit those softballs out of the park. Mm-hmm. I want to continue to be able to have a column that has a real variety of questions, and it's not just about addiction and heartache mm-hmm. and sort of abuse and toxicity, but it's also about, you know, weddings and thank you notes and sisters who are mean. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> I want to keep it um, entertaining. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, last time I... Um, last time I saw your daughter, Emily, who she and I uh, worked together, which is how you and I were able to connect. Um, last time I, ta- I saw her, I was asking her kind of a little bit about the background, and she said that she used to help you uh, sort through the emails and figure out what needed to be answered. Can you speak a little yeah. bit to the kind of people who write in? Do you find it's people who are sanctimonious and just want you to agree with them, or do you find it's people sincerely asking for your advice? I think, um, honestly... There are a bunch of different categories, but the the queries from people who assume that I will agree with them—that's their own. They they are in a you know a class a class of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. So, and I I get asked to sort of mediate disputes. Mm-hmm. I get asked in terms of relationships. I get asked a lot of parenting questions. Um, and I get asked sort of, yeah, like, uh, um, a spouse will write to me about some habitual thing that their partner or spouse does and they want to know, like, what can they do to change that person? Very frequently letters or queries that I get are out of a real desire to change someone else's behavior, Mm -hmm. which, of course, we all know you can't really do. (laughs) Um, So I think most, I get a lot of letters about boundaries, like letters that I get or queries that I get about the workplace are often about boundaries, people who um, are encroach, people who make other people uncomfortable regularly, people who who smell people who talk too loudly. You know, there uh-huh. are, like, a lot of boundary issues that come up. A lot of our listeners are probably atheists just because of the nature of this particular podcast, and I wonder, uh, do you ever hear from that demographic, and what sort of things are they asking you about? Actually, pretty rarely, Um but I have, and actually the letters I've gotten from atheists are all from young atheists mm-hmm. who are growing up in religious households. And um, this is a very important issue for a young person. I think faith or religious practice or or a choice about religion is, it's a very important developmental milestone for a young person. My parents were very liberal, in quotes, in that they um, did not, they believed, my mother believed very, very firmly in a person's right to choose what their faith practice would be, and that includes no faith practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though we were raised in a sort of singing in the church choir and in a an environment where there was church attendance, there was no expectation um, that any of us would make that choice. I mean, no judgment at all, frankly, about it, but I I think that's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. So, 
most often I get letters or queries from young people who are atheists and don't know how to navigate that in a religious family. And boy, it's, it's tough. Yeah, definitely is. And I hear from a lot of, I hear from a lot of them too, Yeah, who, who wish they had someone to go to. Who do, who do you go to advice if you ever have any problems? Well, early on, when I first started working at the Chicago Tribune, I I started getting colleagues coming to me. <laughs> and literally, I came in, and Chris, the holidays are a busy season for advice givers. Um, <laughs> I remember coming into the office, and it was December, and I've always been an early bird, and I came into the office early, and one of my colleagues was waiting for me with his coat on and, like, waiting the way you wait for your therapist to arrive. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you sound like you're the office computer tech or something. They all want your <laughs> oh advice off the clock. It, <laughs> it made that, that was sort of, um, there was a bundle of, of times when colleagues came to me. And frankly, that was a, a very serious boundary issue. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm not a therapist. Right. And so what I did was I I found somebody at Northwestern who would do, um, who did intake. And so I could refer people. I would go like, okay, call this number and this guy will hook you up with a therapist. But the fact that I was being prevailed upon so often by colleagues, it was, it really, really, really bothered me. So I started seeing a therapist just to deal with these professional issues, but also to deal with my own personal issues. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's it been um, a tremendous experience. And I also felt that because I recommend therapy in my column, I wanted to have the experience um, with a good therapist. And it it's transformative. It's fantastic. But I also, I come from a really big family and I'm the youngest in my, in my family group. And so I've always been surrounded by people who I could go to. And I do. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't ask for advice. I, I very frequently, um, I just wrote a note to a family member who's, who's sick right now. And he is somebody who I have called on the phone and said, like, I'm struggling with this. I'm wondering, would you be willing to, like, talk to me about this? And he is somebody who has always been willing to say, sure, I'll help you think that through. You know, I've just been really, really, really lucky, not only that I have family members who are so um, generous and smart, but also I'm somebody who will definitely seek uh, another angle. And I would you know, frankly, recommend that. I think if you're stuck, you should um, you should ask people and listen. You know, I feel like one of one of the best things about me being me is that <laughs> I actually listen to the advice that I'm getting from people, and I have a tendency to follow it. Mm-hmm. Good. 
Tell me, what's the difference between giving advice to somebody via the column or somebody you don't really know versus, say, if your daughter came to you for advice? What, how does that change, or is it does it all come from the same place? Well, it, that's a great question, and I think it's quite different because when a when somebody comes to you for advice, when it's somebody you have a long standing relationship with, you have to be, I think, very, very, very careful, very tender. For instance, if a family member came to me and said, and this has happened, um, my spouse is not being nice to me and he's really pissing me off. If I said to that person, oh, you should leave. You should leave the marriage. You should leave the partnership. You should leave the relationship. And the person didn't because, let's face it, 90% of the time you don't leave. Mm -hmm. You work it out. I, it puts it would put me in such a bad spot with that person. <laughs> I am super, 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 super careful about family members. Um, very careful. In fact, I'm most often um, I've become a better, despite how much talking I'm doing with you guys. I've become a much better listener, and I'm more likely to say, "Well, you know, what do you think you should do, or what are your options?" Like. I think it's really helpful just to talk to somebody who will listen to you and ask good questions. Mm -hmm. And so if you go to somebody with a problem and that person says, well, why don't, like, let's, let's talk about what you think your options are. It just helps, you know, and without offering like, oh, you should do this. You can say, well, I read a book that I really love on the subject, and here it is, and you should definitely take a look at this, or I had an experience similar to this, and this is what my mom said to me. You know, like there are ways to sort of tenderly deliver advice without telling somebody what to do. I'm very uncomfortable telling somebody what to do, believe it or not. <laughs> do, your, do your kids actually come to you for advice? Very seldom. Very, very seldom. Um, I think the place my column has the biggest impact on my life is it's honestly in my adult relationships with my husband and my adult family members. I think I have really been very, very useful to family members based on things I've learned from doing the column. Um, I, this is weird in a way, but I think one of the biggest impacts I've had, you know, in my own family is in dealing with the family members who are ill um, and dying. And this just came from me sort of learning compassion not just on the page, but really trying to practice compassion in my life. And so it's made me a little bit more brave. And I think I've been the most helpful to my family members when it's, when the times have been tough. But I mean, I'm not going to tell somebody ever like how to run their marriage, you know, um, I think I know a lot about parenting. I think I've been a very good parent and I had a very, very good mother. And so there are definitely times when 
I have, I know I've been very um, helpful with my husband. I, my husband and I have a blended family and so I entered a family that was already going and I think I've been very influential in terms of, I entered a family unit that was sort of um, steaming along in one particular way and I do believe that I've um, been more of an advocate for these kids. My husband was a guy who was like, hey, I tell them what to do and they do it, you know, <laughs> kind of one of those guys. And I came in and I was like, well, why don't we, why don't we spend some time like listening to what they think? Doesn't mean we have to do, like, doesn't mean we have to, like, you know, let's do get what they say, say but let, why don't we just like, hear, let's hear them out. And he wasn't used to doing that. And I grew up in an environment where I was really heard and listened to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, so in that sense, um, I think I've had a big impact on some aspects of my family. That's great. So um, thinking about just the two um, columns that we sort of touched on during this conversation, you talk, you touched on se uh, sexuality and religion, which are two huge hot-button hot hot issues. So are there any topics that you just won't touch with a 10-foot pole? Oh, great. Um, hmm. Well, I don't, because it's a general advice column, like I don't do anything, I don't cover sexual fetishes, for instance, partly because they're so specific. You know, like I try to keep my questions, I try to keep the column pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And so that even if you read a question in my column and you don't have that problem in your own family, you probably know somebody that's dealt with that. Mm -hmm. um, so you look for things that are relatable that I, you know, I can read or yeah, Hammond can read and get something out yeah, of it as well. I, I actually, I find, I find some workplace questions pretty challenging. There are some, some workplace issues, frankly, don't, there are, there's just no answer. There's no, um, there's no advice I could give someone that I think would be useful. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, like if you have a toxic boss, sometimes the only thing is like, yeah, man, you should quit. That's yeah. <laughs> like, get out of there. But that's not particularly nuanced or useful. So um, those are tough. Addiction, I find addiction questions very, very challenging um, because addiction is, it impacts your friendships, your families, your, all of your relationships, and um, it requires, you know, the kind of expertise I don't necessarily have. I'm fascinated by addiction, but um, those are very tough. So with those, when you get those really hard questions that you don't think will be particularly compelling or useful for other people, do you ever just write people back, you know, off one the on record? One. Yeah. Oh, I, I frequently do. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've, I've had um, some queries that were so, that were just frankly alarming. And I'm never going to run a, a truly alarming question in my column. I think that's not fair. Mm -hmm. But I will, yeah, oh, absolutely. I go through all of my mail, and I will get back to somebody privately. Like, just recently, 
I've been corresponding with uh, a kid who, I don't know, she, she sent me a very, I, I was pretty alarmed by her um, reaching out to me. And what I did was I said, look, I'm listening, you know, um, like, you're not alone. I try to do stuff like that. I'll try to point somebody towards some resources. Just one time in 10 years, I actually called a kid's school. Um, she she happened to tell me, I don't know, it, it was a pretty scary query from her. And I, I said to her, hey, you know, would you mind telling me the name of your school? I would like to give your counselor a call. And she did. And I called the counselor. And the counselor was like, yep, I know this person and, and I will definitely get on it. And I'm really glad I did that. Mm-hmm. Let me let me switch gears entirely for a second. Uh, Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> We're going down a deep hole. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, you, because you're a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and that's such a funny show. Yeah. It, it seems like such a different gear than the serious advice you're trying to dole out, you know, in your column. How does that? How do you make that adjustment going from a serious advice giver to a panelist where you know you're you're supposed to be funny and you're supposed to make light of serious news stories? Are you turning on different switches in your head? It's completely different. And the first thing I do is thank my lucky stars <laughs> that I am fortunate enough to have that kind of balance in my in my life and in my work life. I mean, it's just so rare. I have always been fascinated by comedy. I've always written comedy and I I just got lucky to land on the show. And so once a month I get to sort of leave it all behind mm-hmm. and go to, you know, a theater mm-hmm. and basically be involved in a performance and for me especially, a lot of the other panelists are professional comics. One time I was feeling really bad about, like, how much I suck at it, you know? <laughs> and But then I realized, wow, I'm sitting here with professional comedians. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the very few panelists that is not a professional comic, and I hold my own. Sometimes I don't, but, you know, most of the times I, I can hold my own. And I just feel, like, so lucky to be able to sort of mix it up with these people who are so smart and so funny and so witty and yeah um it's a totally different it's it's like it's more the side of me that the viral side of me that's like calling it you know just a very quick wit Mm -hmm. there's you know just really a, a quick hit um, then, then the the advice columnist that I think is the better part of me, which is the thoughtful, respectful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like bad Amy, <laughs> good Amy. Do you get the additional perk? Does Carl Castle do your voicemail message? Good question. You know, Carl Castle, he's really stingy with his voice. <laughs> it. It's like it's a hot commodity. I've known Carl Castle for twenty years. I'm like, Carl, like, <laughs> what do I have to do? He says, Amy, you get on the game, and if you win, you know, <laughs> as a contestant, I'll do the, yeah. He's, he's it, good. It's, it's <laughs> old. I know. Yeah, no, he's tough. 
let me ask you one uh, one final serious question, which is that you know newspapers have been struggling as a whole lately. I mean, they're they're laying off people left what? and right. I know, I know. It's it's there's this thing called the internet, no. which what? is I know it's incredible. How does that affect you as a syndicated columnist? I mean, is that something you have to keep in the back of your head, just as a as a businesswoman more than anything else? Well. It's a very weird experience because it's an I'm I'm very very deeply engaged in an industry that's contracting mm-hmm. and changing, and it's hard to attach a value, for instance, on something that a lot of people just get for free, and but some people pay for. So it's a pretty confusing. It's a pretty confusing time. And like everybody else involved in newspapers, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to make um, a smooth transition into the next phase, for sure. Well, that's great. Um, Amy, we are just about out of time. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks. That just flew by. You guys are great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man-T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. This is Jessica Blumke, and thanks for coming. We hope you'll join us next time.